Part 1, Section 5 of The Dark Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremy Cat. The Dark Flower, Section 5. What did he know of women that should make him understand? At his public school, he had seen none to speak of. At Oxford, only this one. At home, in the holidays, not any, save his sister Cecily. The two hobbies of their guardian, fishing and the antiquities of his native county, rendered him averse to society, so that his little Devonshire manor house, with its black oak panels and its wild stone-walled park along the riverside, was from year's end to year's end innocent of all petticoats, save those of Cecily and old Miss Tring, the governess. Then, too, the boy was shy. No, there was nothing in his past of not quite nineteen years to go by. He was not of those youths who are always thinking of conquests. The very idea of conquest seemed to him vulgar, mean, horrid. There must be many signs indeed before it would come into his head that a woman was in love with him, especially the one to whom he looked up and thought so beautiful. For before all beauty he was humble, inclined to think himself a clod. It was the part of life which was always unconsciously sacred and to be approached trembling. The more he admired, the more tremulous and diffident he became. And so, after his one wild moment, when she plucked those sweet-scented blossoms and dropped them over to him, he felt abashed and, walking home beside her, was quieter than ever, awkward to the depths of his soul. If there was confusion in his heart, which had been innocent of trouble, what must have there been in hers, that had for so long secretly desired the dawning of that confusion. And she, too, was very silent. Passing a church with open door in the outskirts of the village, she said, Don't wait for me. I want to go in here a little. In the empty twilight within, one figure, a countrywoman, in her black shawl, was kneeling, marvelously still. He would have liked to stay, that kneeling figure, the smile of the sunlight filtering into the half-darkness. He lingered long enough to see Anna, too, go down on her knees in the stillness. Was she praying? Again he had the turbulent feeling with which he had watched her pluck those flowers. She looked so splendid kneeling there. It was caddish to feel like that when she was praying, and he turned quickly away into the road but that sharp, sweet, stinging sensation did not leave him. He shut his eyes to get rid of his image, and instantly she became ten times more visible, his feeling ten times stronger. He mounted to the hotel. There on the terrace was his tutor, and oddly enough, the sight of him at that moment was no more embarrassing than if it had been the hotel concierge. Stormer did not somehow seem to count, did not seem to want you to count him. 
Besides, he was so old, nearly fifty. The man who was so old was posed in a characteristic attitude, hands in the pockets of his Norfolk jacket, one shoulder slightly raised, head just a little on one side as if preparing to quiz something. He spoke as Lenin came up, smiling, but not with his eyes. Well, young man, and what have you done with my wife? Left her in a church, sir. Ah, she will do that. Has she run you off your legs? No. Then let's walk and talk a little. To be thus walking up and down and talking with her husband seemed quite natural, did not even interfere with those new sensations, did not in the least increase his shame for having them. He only wondered a little how she could have married him, but so little. Quite far and academic was his wonder, like his wonder in old days how his sister could play with dolls. If he had any other feeling, it was just a longing to get away and go down the hill again to the church. It seemed cold and lonely after all that long day with her, as if he left himself up there, walking along hour after hour, or lying in the sun beside her. What was old Stormer talking about? The difference between Greek and Roman views of honor. Always in the past, seemed to think the present was bad form. And he said, We met some English Grundies, sir, on the mountain. Ah, oh, yes. Any particular brand? Some advanced and some not, but all the same, really, I think. I see. Grundies, I think you said. Yes, sir, from this hotel. It was Mrs. Stormer's name for them. They were so very superior. Quite. There was something unusual in the tone of that little word, and the boy stared for the first time. There seemed a real man standing there. Then the blood rushed into his cheeks, for there she was. Would she come up to them? How splendid she was looking, burnt by the sun, and walking as if just starting. But she passed into the hotel without turning her head their way. Had he offended? Hurt her? He made an excuse and got away to his room. In the window from which that same morning he had watched the mountains lying out like lions in the dim light, he stood again and gazed at the sun dropping over the high horizon. What had happened to him? He felt so different, so utterly different. It was another world, and the most strange feeling came on him, as of the flowers falling again all over his face and neck and hands, the tickling of their soft-fringed edges, the stinging sweetness of their scent, and he seemed to hear her voice saying, Feel, and to feel her heart once more beating under his hand. End of Section 5 from The Dark Flower Recording by Jeremy Cat.